Thank you. Please take a seat. The reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 5 and can be found in the Red Bibles on page 308. We have other Bibles in different languages and versions available at the back, and the page numbers for those are on the screen. So that's page 308 in the Red Bibles. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 33 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David had said, Anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lime and blind, blind, who are David's enemies. That is why they say, the blind and lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inwards, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David, along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the name of the children born to him there. Shammua, Shoab, Nathan, Solomon, Ippah, Ishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Elada, and Elephelet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Riphaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Balal-Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, As waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal-Perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. 
Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out into the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle round behind them and attack in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the, tr- marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, everyone. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Pete Gaskell. And we're going to start tonight with a, a game of truth or opinion. Okay, so you've got to shout out what you think uh, the answer is, true or opinion. As I hold up a clementine, this is a clementine. True or opinion? It is true, that is true. Okay, clementines taste nice. Opinion, okay, you're getting the hang of this. Maths is fun. Oh, goodness, a divided opinion out there. Uh, Two plus two equals four. Okay, that is definitely true. Manchester is the best city in England. Oh, muttering. Oh, goodness, no idea. Um, Okay, that's that's objective. No, no, that's probably um, opinion. London is the capital of England. Truth, obviously. Here's the final one. The, uh, The north is better than the south. Okay, I assume we're talking about the Northern Hemisphere at that point. Um, Good. Okay, so some things in life are true, they're just facts, and other things are opinion. Here's another one. Don't answer this one, though. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Is that in a sort of truth-fact category, or is it just an opinion? Um, Jesus is Lord of all. The the, the idea that it might be a, a truth statement... Um, an objective fact is one that jars quite a lot, doesn't it, with our current culture and our very liberal, Western, relativist, individualistic society that we live in. Um, any religious statement that is, is claiming to be fact, not just an opinion, comes across, does it not, as, as very, um, very arrogant, very uh, misguided, even extreme, one might say. Because if it is just an opinion... If it is just an opinion, then how dare anyone say that it should affect everyone? Jesus is Lord of all. Because it's just an opinion. Whereas if it is a a, a truth statement, an objective fact, then boy, that would have implications for everyone, would it not? So which is it? Which is it? And of course, it all depends on who Jesus is. And as we look at 2 Samuel 5 tonight... Well, this is a very significant moment in, in history. It is significant, this moment, in the history of the world because it is the moment when King David became king over all of Israel, not just of Judah. We'll see that in a moment. It is significant in human history because this is the moment when the city of Jerusalem Uh, became very significant in the salvation plan of God. Up until this point, it had been hardly mentioned. It is significant, more importantly, though, because as we read about King David, we are going to learn of of King Jesus. Sometimes people say to me, the Old Testament is such a dry, irrelevant, outdated, wrong uh, part of the Bible. But it isn't, is it not? It's the book 
that gives pictures of Jesus and speaks of Jesus. Uh, And that's truly wonderful. Jesus himself says, John 5, If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Extraordinary there. The Old Testament is speaking about Jesus. Jesus says on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So as we read part of the scriptures, 2 Samuel 5, we'll be learning of Jesus. And that is why this is so significant for us tonight as we meet to learn more of him. And certainly my prayer for tonight is that each of us, well, as we grapple with Jesus stuff, is it true? Is it fact? Is it opinion? That as we dwell on this passage, we'll come to a clearer understanding of that. And all of us will come to realize more and more the seriousness with which we should treat the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here just tonight exploring the Christian faith. We're going to have a great time as we learn more of him. Maybe you're here, you've been a Christian a while. Um, One of the questions you've been a Christian a while to ask as we look through this is, what do we learn about Jerusalem? Because remember, this part of the Old Testament is speaking about the old Jerusalem, uh, you know, in the place that's the Middle East, had plans in the Old Testament. But all of that is a picture of the new Jerusalem, the new, new Jerusalem that is still to come, the new Jerusalem that we're told in Revelation 21 will come down from the heavens uh, to, to the new creation. Okay, So as we go through this, you can also be asking that question, what do I learn of that amazing day that is to come? So lots to hopefully whet your appetites. As Let's pray now as we think about this, this passage that the Lord would, by his Spirit, give us insight. Uh, Lord, we pray, because as we read these words written so many years ago um, about David, uh, would we realize how your spirit was actually speaking about the Lord Jesus? And we pray as we learn of him, we'd be encouraged in faith, encouraged to keep following him, and marvel for all we learn of him. For We ask it in his name. Amen. First thing, the appointed king. Three things to look at tonight. First off, the appointed king, verses 1 to 5. As I said, this is the moment when King David uh, was anointed king over all of Israel. So up until this point in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 2, you may remember he was anointed king of Judah, but Israel would not acknowledge that. The rest of Israel were saying, Ishbosheth, he's the king, not David. In other words, you said to them, what do you think of David being king? They just said, well, we, we don't share that opinion. That, that's, not, that's not a fact. That's not truth. We're not going to treat him as the king. But it's here in 2 Samuel 5 that suddenly that sort of resistance, that defiance stops. And suddenly the whole nation is saying, David is the king. Um, verse 1, all the tribes of Israel came to David, it says. Verse 3, all the elders of Israel had come to David, it says. Verse 5, it describes David's reign, uh, seven years um, in Hebron, uh, and then it goes on to describe his reign in Jerusalem. But you see, when he gets to Jerusalem, who is he reigning over? Verse 5, it says, all 
Judah and, and, Judah and um, Israel. And it's worth noting that this is not just because the people have come to an opinion that he is the king. It's not just them saying, oh, we've got lots of possibilities and we're going to decide that he's the king. No, they are anointing him in recognition of what God himself has already done with David. Uh, Look to verse 2. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you, that is David, shall shepherd my people Israel, and you, David, shall become their ruler. It is God who's appointed David as the king. And the people are but recognizing that objective fact. Until this moment, as I say, they've resisted that. This is the moment they acknowledge it. So much so that in verse 3, they make a covenant about it. That is a binding deal. They say, so true is this fact that David is God's king. We're going to make a covenant. And they do that because this is a big moment. Uh, The 2nd of June, 1953. Do you know what happened on the 2nd of June, 1953? Anyone? Coronation, absolutely. Queen Elizabeth was uh, coronated, if that's a word. Um, And here's a picture of it. There we go. Um... Is that a word coronated? It is now. Um, and amazing. If you ever watched the videos of it, it's a really staggering day when this nation, this united kingdom, acknowledged Queen Elizabeth as the queen. Really significant. 2 Samuel 5 is, is the coronation where uh, they acknowledge the united kingdom of Judah and Israel with David as the king. Amazing. The appointed king. Secondly, the powerful king. The powerful king. That's verses 6 to 16. Jerusalem at this point in ancient history was a famous city, but it hasn't been mentioned that much in the Bible. A little bit, but not much. Um, And David approaches it, verse 6. He approaches it to attack it. He approaches it because the Jebusites... That is, the inhabitants of the land, the Jebusites who were idolaters, that is, who worshipped a false god, not the true god. Uh, The Jebusites that actually Israel should have kicked out of the land already, but hadn't. Uh, The Jebusites who therefore could potentially lead the people of God away from the true god to false gods. David approaches Jerusalem to get rid of the Jebusites from, from Jerusalem. In other words, he wants his kingly rule to be marked not by idolatry to a false god, but by the worship of the true and living God. That's what he wants. So he comes. They, of course, are defiantly resisting that. They mock him. They say, you're weak. Uh, Even the blind and the lame could could defeat you. Um, But they haven't realized the power of this king. He is the powerful king. And indeed, when he He uh, gets to them, well, verse 7, nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion. Zion is the hill uh, on which um, Jerusalem is then built, what is now called, verse 7, the city of David. It's it's a really significant moment. Um, Another question for you, do you know when London um, became uh, the capital of England? Anyone know that? It's the 12th century. There was a moment when suddenly it was acknowledged as the capital city. What about Jerusalem? 
Uh, here's a map of modern-day Jerusalem. When, when did that, uh, in, at least in ancient times, become the capital city uh, in, in God's plans? Well, it was here. It was here in this moment. Um, and this king, this King David, chooses to make it his capital city, and he will rule from it there on in. They build a palace for him. He, he rules from it. Verse, verse 9, he, um, he takes up residence in the fortress. Uh, it's called the city of David. He builds the area up. Uh, from terrace inwards. It's a very powerful place to be ruling from this Mount Zion. And just as we saw just now in the first point, the reason he was the king was not because he was self-appointed, but it was because God appointed him. Likewise here, his power as the powerful king ruling from Jerusalem. Again, it's not self-power. See that in verse 10. He became more and more powerful. Why, verse 10? Because... The Lord God Almighty was with him. You couldn't have more might than the Lord God Almighty. But that is the source of the power by which David is indeed ruling. So he is uh, this powerful king. Thirdly, the prayerful king. So the appointed king, the powerful king, the prayerful king. That's verses 17 to 25. As we said just now, not all the nations wanted David as the king. The Philistines are still resisting. They had no intention of, of letting G, uh, David be the king. Uh, verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force, that's no small comment, in full force to search for him. How does David, this powerful uh, appointed king. How does he respond? Verse 18. Uh, now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So, what does he do? David inquired of the Lord. He prayed. He prayed. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. And he defeated them. The Philistines don't give up, though. They, they do it again. Um, they attack again, verse 22. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley. So what does David do? Verse 21, oh, 23, sorry. So David inquired of the Lord. He prayed. He prayed. And each time... He prays, the Lord answers, and then what does David do? He obeys. He prays and obeys. And each time, the Lord gives him victory over his enemies. His enemies who are but nothing in the hands of God's king. The appointed king, the powerful king, the prayerful king. The word gospel... Uh, the Christian gospel. The word gospel is an old word. Um, often people translate it as good news, although that's not to get quite to the heart of the word. The word in, in Greek is euangelion, um, from which we get the word evangelical. That means someone who believes the gospel, a Christian. Um, or evangelism, that's telling the gospel, the euangelion. Um, but it, it is an Old Testament, it's used in the Old Testament, in the Greek version of the Old Testament. Um, even in secular usage, it means the declaration, the good news 
that the king has been victorious. So there's a certain sort of good news. It's the good news of victory of your king. And here, there is the gospel of King David, that he was victorious. It was great news. It was great news. Sometimes um, people say to me, and to you no doubt, um, this announcement of the, that God's king is, is victorious is a bit staunch. It's um, a bit strident, a bit overwhelming, a bit, dare I say, unappealing. And I think when we ourselves may start to think that, is this gospel a bit too much? It's because we've forgotten the character of the king. And uh, I just want us to go through 2 Samuel 5 again very briefly, just seeing the character of the king that he is here describes. Because it's wonderful. And having this king as one's ruler, uh, as one's lord, is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's not unappealing or too much. It's wonderful. Verse 2. You shall shepherd my people. David, as a young boy, had shepherded sheep. That is, protected them and looked after them. David, as a man, is to shepherd God's people. He is the shepherd king. Verse 12. David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of of Israel, of his people Israel. In other words, David wasn't self-seeking. He was not self-serving. He did what he did, not for his sake, but for the sake of his people, the Lord's people, Israel. He's a servant king. Verse 12, so David inquired of the Lord, will you deliver them into my hands? This is not a king full of himself, brashly bragging how he can defeat his enemies. He prays because he knows that in and of himself he can do nothing and is reliant on the Lord. He is the humble king. In other words, the king of 2 Samuel 5 is the appointed shepherd king, he is the powerful servant king, and he's the prayerful humble king. Who wouldn't want to be ruled by a king like that? As I said earlier, this isn't ultimately talking about David. In fact, in this passage, you get some indication that it's not actually really talking about David ultimately in verses 13 to 16, because in verses 13 to 16, it says, well, let's read it again. After he left Hebron, that is, when he went to Jerusalem, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names of the children born to him there. And so get the names. Um, now, in the law, back in Deuteronomy 17, which describes what the king should be like, not many things it says. One of the things it says in Deuteronomy 17 in the law was... He should not have many wives. Straightforward. And what does David do? He just disobeys it. He he takes on many wives and concubines. 
In other words, he is a flawed king. And that makes us all the more long for the king who was to turn up a thousand years later, um, Jesus. Jesus, the shepherd king. He says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus, the servant king. He says, the son of man did not come to, to be served, but to serve. Jesus, the humble king. As Paul says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Truly staggering, isn't it, actually, if you stop and think about the character of this king, this Lord of all. And I hope we enjoy living with Jesus as our king. I hope, you know, here at Platts, the Christian faith for us isn't drudgery. Uh, that's something we enjoy every day as we remember Jesus. And if we are feeling dry in our faith, let's remember again him, what he's done and his character, the way he's shepherded us and served us and loved us. And remember, of course, this Jerusalem that David was ruling from is but a picture of this future Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that will come after the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, In the new creation, this is a picture of Jesus ruling in the new Jerusalem with his father. Him and the father and son are on the throne, it says in Revelation 21 and 2, ruling. That is when finally he will have defeated not just the Philistines, but his great enemy, the devil himself. Where we're told, are we not, in Revelation 20, the devil will be thrown into the pit. And King Jesus will then take on this rule in the new Jerusalem and it'll be breathtaking. And if that doesn't put a spring in our step as Christians tonight, so keep going with Jesus, I don't know what will. Listen to what uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet. And it's not just an opinion. We know that it's true because of the resurrection there, yeah? God has raised Christ from the dead. We can look at the resurrection, see all the evidence of the resurrection, know that Jesus is this exalted king who will rule fully in the new creation in the new Jerusalem. um, Have you ever heard that that experiment? Um, They they took some, some, um, if you have the next picture up, they took a a class of pupils and um, the teacher wrote on the whiteboard uh, with a blue pen, blue whiteboard pen, and kept emphasizing, I'm writing with the blue pen. It is a blue pen I'm writing with. Isn't that wonderful blue writing on the board? So that everyone at the end of the lesson was crystal clear that it was blue. And then they went away for the evening and came back the next day and they had told all bar one of the pupils uh, to pretend, referring to the previous day, that actually the pen had been red. And so everyone else that day was talking about, oh, that was such a helpful lesson yesterday, written in red ink with the red pen. Do you remember the lovely redness of the... And they only emphasize... And this, this one people who, who, who thought, eh, wasn't it? It was blue. 
And we're sort of thinking, hang on, I'm sure it was blue. Wasn't it blue? Hang on, Every, everyone else is saying it's red. By the end of the lesson, that one pupil was saying, yeah, yeah, it was red. It was red. You and I may know that Jesus is indeed the Lord of all. But we're in a culture where everyone else is saying he isn't. We're in a culture that is saying the one thing that is not true is that Jesus is Lord of all. We're in a culture that gives you a hard time if you say that Jesus is Lord. We're in a culture that says, you know, this is a closed materialistic universe. Live for the now. Live for the present. Live for materialism. Live for this world. The thought that there's something beyond God, the thought there's a world to come, nonsense. I mean, you can hold to this view of yours that Jesus is Lord if you find that helpful. I'm glad that helps you. But the thought that it's objective truth. And that's what we're hearing constantly, 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 constantly. constantly. The, The pen is red, they say, not blue. And we can start to think, are they right? Are they right? And I hope that tonight, as we've looked at 2 Samuel 5, as we've looked at all that it's pointing to about Jesus, we've remembered that the pen is blue. (laughs) The pen is blue. Jesus is Lord. That's truth. And we shouldn't give up on the Christian life. The other thing that, that can happen to us, I think, because everyone else is saying that Jesus isn't a Lord around us and the culture around us, we can, the other thing I think we're more typically, perhaps would do here at Platt, is we just, we go quiet. And they're saying one thing, and we think, oh, I don't want to speak out against what everyone else is saying. It's awkward, it's, it's embarrassing, it's, it's, it's not good. And so we go quiet, we put our heads down, we have an easy life, we carry on. Uh, we'll continue Christian ourselves, but... We don't really try to have an impact on the culture around us, which is denying all this. It's too costly. And when we get like that, let's remember these wonderful truths that have an impact not just on us, but on everyone. Everyone. Jesus is the appointed shepherd king. Jesus is the powerful servant king. Jesus is the prayerful, humble king. Let's have a moment to to quietly reflect on what the Lord by his Spirit has said to us from the Scriptures about Christ, and then I'll close us in a prayer.
Lord Jesus, we want to praise you. We want to praise you how you fulfill everything that 2 Samuel 5 has said. And we praise you that you are therefore this, this king, this ruler, this lord, this appointed ruler appointed by your father um, to be our shepherd, to be our servant, the one who powerfully rules us. Thank you that in your death and resurrection you are this king. We praise you and thank you. Amen. We're going to continue in prayer.